0: To Gojo and Golik, Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Emerson Latzia holding it down for us in the DraftKings studio in Boston. Guys, happy 2024, happy New Year. How we feeling? We had a little bit of a hiatus. Thank you to everybody who has downloaded, subscribed, rated, and reviewed us, left us a five-star rating, and followed us in 2023 on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV Plus and more uh we hope you guys all had a good week uh first lead into the new year a great weekend we got a great show for you guys as always do all that stuff anish Shroff espn and carolina panthers play-by-play guy is going to join us here to break down everything that went on in college football and in a special bowl called the pop-tart bowl that might have broken the internet but dad did you and mom Ah. stay up till midnight for the uh, new year or did you do what i noticed is the trend out here on the west coast is just celebrate east coast new year at nine o'clock and then get to bed at a normal hour
1: yeah which would be in arizona here that would be 10 o'clock uh Mm. you have nine o'clock and we did not even make it to that, I don't even think we made we would have made it to your uh, yours at nine o'clock if you went nine o'clock to twelve Eastern time. No, uh, I do not remember the last time your mother and I saw midnight really in any time zone. To be honest with you, uh, I, I we did not make it up. We didn't even. It's not like we tried to make it up. It's not like we were fighting sleep to try and make it up. We just flat out went to bed. And realize when we wake up, the new year's going to start no matter what. No matter whether we were up partying or we were in bed. So I'm cool with that. What, what's interesting now to me, though, is we're in day two of the how many millions of people that are eating right and going to change their body. And how yes. long it lasts for everybody, right? How long it goes until, you know what, I'm just going to have this little bit of this, or I'm going to have that little bit of that, till however long into the new year, you're back to what you were in the old year. But by God, you made that resolution. Everybody, you're in day two. Hold strong. Hold strong for at least a few more hours we believe in you we think you can get it done we support your goals (laughs) and
0: ambitions right now we are in day two of the time where you get to say happy new year to people as a greeting but we're also dad in an important juncture because i think you made the right choice in going to bed early on the night of new year's eve because you knew we had bangers lined up on new year's day in college football and a lot of people on the east coast complaining about the start time of the sugar bowl as we had now for the second straight year the college football playoff had been marred by bad games in the semifinals for the first eight years of its Yes. and then last year we got good ones Ohio State Georgia TCU Michigan and followed it up this year with two more all-timers we all said Florida State got jobbed in the way that it worked out with the selection committee but I was really excited to watch both these games and kind of glad that we got them and it delivered like the Rose bowl and the sugar bowl were two absolute classics. You had just the second overtime game in the history of the Rose bowl played in this. And then you had the sugar bowl at night. That was every bit the laser light show. So dad, was there one game that stood out to you more here? Was there one game that the result maybe
1: surprised you more? Or was this exactly what you expected? No, no. I mean, I did pick Alabama to win uh, and Washington to win. So, you know, if you want to say I'm surprised there, no, because I know Michigan is a a great team as well. These games both delivered exactly how we thought, right? Michigan-Alabama would be probably a shorter game, even though it went to overtime, and a more physical game, a more line-of-scrimmage game, and Washington-Texas would be a little more of a shootout. It got a little close to that over, you know, that that closer than we thought. I thought they were going to hit the over in the third quarter. They were both exactly... Exactly as I thought they were going to be, as far as how they were played. Let me quick quickly make an aside because of, of the, you know the Florida State factor in this. So one thing I'll say, if Florida State was in this, their defense was good enough to play as good as those defenses did. Uh, you know Michigan and Alabama, especially because Michigan's got the yep. top defense in the country. But Florida State's a great defense. Their defense would have hung with any of those defenses. It's just a matter of their offense would have been able to do anything with the backup quarterback because they had talented receivers and a running back as well. So I will say that. But these games were fantastic. They were exactly, exactly, outside of not determining what the plays that were going to decide these games, exactly what I thought we were going to be. You know, what I didn't. And it's the one thing we always kind of put to the side a little bit. I mean, listen, let's be honest. Special teams just about cost Michigan in this game. You know, I mean, just, just horrific. And it, it's one of the part of the games, while it's a third of the game, it's never thought of like a third of the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're muffing punts. You're missing extra point bad snap. You're missing, you know, field goals. And it's like, wow, this could cost you a trip to the national championship game. But it did not. They, they persevered.
0: Yeah, I, that was the amazing part because if we're going to start with the Rose Bowl and look at that, going into that game, I was like you. I picked Alabama, and based on what we saw early there with some of the mistakes by Michigan, you almost had an interception by J.J. McCarthy on the second play. You had the yeah. boxed extra point, and then you had the muffed punt experience in there as well. For a Michigan team that, according to Bill Connolly's SP Plus over at ESPN, was like the fourth best special teams unit in college football this year, those are uncharacteristic mistakes that looked like like nerves in a big stage and in a big moment. And I saw that and I saw mistakes early and said, this seems like a recipe for an Alabama win. And dad credit to Jim Harbaugh and this entire Michigan coaching staff, because they looked like the better team for three quarters of this game they were dominant on offense five sacks in the first half against an Alabama team that did a lot more dropping back than I expected to in the past game and then were able to slam the door shut late between dominance along the line of scrimmage we saw an overtime the touchdown by Blake Corum in that offensive line rolling Alabama back but dad it really came down to dominance along the lines of scrimmage Early good coaching decisions yep. by Michigan, especially on offense. Jerome Moore called a great game, especially in the first half of that one. And then Jim Harbaugh's decision at the end of that game in the fourth quarter to go for it on fourth down yep. in his own territory. The big play to Blake Corum, and the rest is history.
1: Yeah, I, I was somewhat surprised. And, you know, you could talk about the difference being being a, a former old lineman. Of what Bama did in the second half. I mean, Bama in the first half, just to leave your guys basically, what, a pro set? I mean, just just all blocking one-on-one, no help at all. Five sacks. I mean, you you got to help your guys out a little more than I thought they did in that first half. They were just basically saying, block them. And Michigan's rush was just too much for the Alabama O-line. And Alabama switched it up in the second half, gave it a little bit of a different look. You could explain, again, more than I, whether they changed anything up front, but they got Milro on the move uh, a little more as well. Maybe that was more of the process of what we see in the pros now, getting your quarterback yeah. on the move a bit uh, to help him out, but that was that that took a little long for me, I thought, uh, to to make that adjustment, but they did because the difference of the first half and then the third quarter was night and day for Alabama, but Give Michigan all the credit. I thought Michigan was going to punt there at the end, Mike, uh, because they had their three timeouts. They have the best defense in the country, and I thought they were going to punt the ball, play that field position game, try and get the ball back, you know, and and score right at the end. But they go for it on fourth and two, as you mentioned. You hit Blake Coram on the swing, and he's out and gets 27 yards on that play. A monster play Uh, for Michigan they just came up with the right plays the throwback to McCarthy that he had to one hand and Whirl around and throw I mean just some of the plays they did After looking like they were going to be in trouble, but they were the make no mistake They were the better team. They were the better team that being said it's 20 to 10 Bama is ahead with just, with just just starting the fourth quarter. They have a 10-point lead on a Michigan team that's not known for throwing the rock around. J.J. McCarthy been a part of you know a couple of elimination games in the playoffs. And here he is with a chance to not only get a game-winning dri- uh, tying drive in the fourth, but then a game-winning drive, which is really more Blake Corum, in overtime uh, for them to get the win.
0: Yep, give them all the credit in the world. They made the biggest plays in the biggest moments. I think largely outcoached Alabama in this game. And the biggest factor that I didn't account for going into this that I thought Bama had remedied was the situation you mentioned, protection. They did do a lot of different stuff in the second half. They went with a little more timely tempo. They went more max protection on a lot of the shots, more design quarterback run, all the stuff that's good antidotes for an Alabama offensive line that gave up 43 sacks during the season. They were 115th in sacks allowed this year, and Michigan  – fully took advantage of that in this game in a way that i thought alabama had gotten past dad the other thing that i think is going to be talked about a lot for alabama is the last play of this game you get to overtime you're the last one holding the pen because you won the toss in overtime and they get down it's fourth and goal in uh, very down near the goal line and alabama calls a designed run for jalen milrose something we've been used to seeing with that team and it gets stuffed early because dad they had had a ton of quarterback center issues that day, with oh, the yeah. McLaughlin, their center, that had been an issue for them all year, and we saw a number of moments in this game in the second half where Alabama was driving to look to put it away, and a couple of errant snaps completely changed the flow of this. That final play, Dad, what what was your thought process? Because I think while I didn't love the play, it had a chance and. If the snap had just been on time and we had had an operation they could trust all day, I do think that history would look at that play a little bit differently because everyone was crushing it immediately in the post game, And then you see a few different angles, especially that overhead angle from behind. And if the quarterback catches the ball, able to take the hitch that you're supposed to take on that play and then able to go down, it was quarterback power the way it was blocked up front. Yeah had a bit of a wall backside, the right tackle getting blown up kind of hurt it, but if the play happens in the normal timing it's supposed to, he's got a shot following his puller on the left side to potentially break a tackle and get this thing in. The,
1: the play is way closer than what it looked like. It looked like, what the hell are you doing? Michigan just stuffed this play. But you're right. When when this play is broken down, you see the right guard pull, and that's who Milrow can follow. Uh, You see the end man, the DB, Will Johnson from Michigan coming up the field uh, too far. This is man coverage, and they motion the running back out of the backfield to get a linebacker out of there to try and lighten the box a little bit. And you're right. I mean, he's got the guard pulling, and the snap throws it off. And J.C. Latham, the right tackle, gets absolutely punished by Josiah Stewart. Good. Cheer, I mean, I mean, thumbs up to Josiah Stewart. He takes a 360-pounder and just backs him into, into Jalen Milrow. Now, let's also wait and see because, as you and I both noticed, and I'm sure a lot of other people did, Latham grabbed his knee right after the play. Did he get yeah. driven back because he hurt his knee during the play? Did he, hurt, did he get hurt? We'll obviously find out because he reached down and grabbed his knee right away, so we'll see. But the play did have a chance. Now, I'm more of a fan of... Of giving the quarterback an option of rolling him out you know if he can run great if he, can, he has to throw then throw so I wasn't a huge fan of the play either you know what probably would have worked there one of those little run to the line and jump passes quite honestly that could have worked too but I'm more of a fan of giving the quarterback an option to run or pass so I didn't really like the play call but to that point for people that are just slamming it watch it everybody's gonna break it down today and when you break it down a good snap even with the the tackle getting pushed back may get him there now will johnson the db who went up too high he may have been able to come back back backtrack and get milro he may have gotten there but that play had a better chance than what it looked like on tv it would have been by no means a walk-in but i think the way it was
0: blocked up had a shot had it happened in normal time because he had the swing pass as a potential pass option like, you're supposed to look out that way, have that as an outlet, and then if it's not there, the timing then leads you back to that quarterback run. I'll be fascinated to see if the discourse around that changes at all when people get more looks at it. But either way, Michigan was the better team for the vast majority of the day. They yep. get that win there, and I think the same can be said for the uh, nightcap here, Emerson, as we had the Washington Huskies in Texas in a game that featured markedly more offense.
2: Yeah, dude, the Michael Penix Jr. bandwagon right now, Filling up, filling up fast. So Duke passed for 430 yards, two touchdowns against Texas as the Huskies held off the Longhorns. 37-31 in the Sugar Bowl semifinal here, guys, earning both the six-year quarterback. Yes, six years with two surgically repaired knees, for crying out loud, in the dead man walking Pac-12. One last chance to go out a champion. Gojo, it's a hell of a story, a hell of a comeback story for Pennix here, who some forget rebounded from four season-ending injuries here to get to this point.
0: It's a remarkable story, and dad, one of the better playoff games we've ever seen. The fourth highest passing total in a CFP game behind two Joe Burrows uh, in there, and a Mac Jones from one of the greatest offenses that we've ever seen. So rarefied air and keyhole throws. This guy was unconscious for the vast majority of the night. We know that they've got a room full of NFL wide receivers: Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan. All these guys are ballers. That, quite honestly, and I saw plenty of people make the comparison. The Kansas City Chiefs would kill to have the Washington Huskies receiver room at this current juncture, but Michael Penix Jr. made some absolutely bonkers throws in this game and had himself a bit of a C.J. Stroud moment from last year where dad now, I think, for a lot of people that even regardless of the success Washington had had this year, hadn't checked out the Pac-12, got to meet this player and are all of a sudden reconsidering what they think about him as a
1: draft prospect. And I just want to make sure it is on record I am not one of those I had always said I love this kid at this level I love the kid at the next level I I have put him at, at just about the entire time the third quarterback I love what he does I love the way he moves in the pocket receivers are going to love him because he's so accurate with the ball and I don't mean just a completion I mean he puts the ball where the receivers can run after the catch. And receivers love that. Now, is he the scramble run unbelievable, you know, um, threat that way? No, but he can he can do enough with his legs to make himself dangerous at times. I love the way this kid slides in the pocket, Mike. His eyes stay down the field, doesn't take his eyes off the coverage. He's incredibly smart. He avoids the rust just enough to get – it. sometimes it looks like, oh, he's going to get caught. And he just slides enough to get out of it and make a throw. I have always liked what he has done. And I think he is going to do well at the next level. Let's see what kind of a team he ends up on. Is it a team where they don't have as good of receivers as he has with Polk and Adunze, who were both over 100 yards uh, in this game? We'll wait and see. Uh, but but this, was, again, was a game that that was played just like we thought. was going to be a shootout all the way where Texas makes a final drive and ends up having one second on the clock easily in touchdown range. And, and I don't mind that, you know. I, I, I know we're not fans of the fade down there. We saw it work for them on the touchdown before into the corner of the end zone. You're basically just saying it's your guy and my guy. And this is where we're going to go with the ball, uh, win or lose. And that seemed to be their best option.
0: Yeah, an incredible play by the Huskies defensive back, Elijah Jackson, on that one. A.D. Mitchell had yet another touchdown in a playoff game, a guy who had been a star for Georgia before and now balled out in the CFP again here, albeit a little bit too little too late. Elijah Jackson had the same version of that as a defensive back going up on that final play and swatting the hell out of that ball down. And, Dad, that's why I think this Huskies team is fascinating because their defense is by no means good. Like, we saw all the stats... But yep. this game, the difference for Washington is their defense able to make timely enough plays. You've got guys like Braylon Trice, the defensive end, who showed up and flashed a lot Boy, as a he pass did. rusher, yes. as a guy on rushing downs there. You had some timely plays. Jabbar Muhammad on the back end is probably their best defensive back. But as much as anything, Dad, they played one of their cleanest games. I think they're like 118th in the country in terms of penalties per game. And they had three yep. in this game right now. That was a Huskies team that played clean and gave their ball back to their offense just enough to make it work. And I think that's going to have to be the recipe for them against Michigan in this as well. So I, I, I do... Early on, the Huskies are a a four-and-a-half-point dog opening on DraftKings Sportsbook to Michigan in this championship game. We figured that would probably be the case, but that'll have to be the recipe for them before we start to turn the page too much on that, Dad. I agree with you. I think Michael Penix is going to have his day in court for the third quarterback in this draft. Among him, Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy's been thrown in there a little bit too rich for my blood there. But I have always enjoyed him. Seems like the perfect Detroit Lions quarterback, quite honestly. I would love to see him in an offense like that. The other thing that's going to come up with this dad late in that game, Kalen DeBoer, the decision on third and five with about a minute left to rush there. Dylan Johnson, their running back gets hurt on that play and it stops yeah. the clock and changes the face of this completely one weird rule that an injured player ends up hurting you like that as an yes. offense and yeah. something that might be worth looking at but dad in general the decision to run there i don't actually have a problem with a lot of people no. comparing it to the mario cristobal kneel down there no if you pop five yards the game is over there right it's a lot different than mathematically it being done they would have had about 15 seconds left if you just kneel and punt there but i can understand that to me that was just a real bad luck moment
1: yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't put that in the crystal ball moment at all. Uh, but just just unfortunate that you get hurt, and it works against you. Like you said, you have your own player hurt, and it works against you with the, with the clock stopping. So, no, I don't have a problem with that play, but boy, oh, boy, did Texas make it exciting uh, down there at the end. Quite honestly, I thought what would work, you saw the DB in that last play playing off, right? If Mitchell pulls that right to the end zone, do the spin out, Right by the front pylon, I I actually think they score and could win that game. Uh, But it doesn't happen. Give Washington all the credit in the world. I know Washington's a dog, but I'll say it right now. I am picking Washington to win the national championship. They are
0: used to that, and they are encouraging everyone to continue doubting them, as Washington has now won 10 straight games by 10 points or fewer. That is the most in the modern Division I era in college football. So the Huskies right back where they want to be. Coming up next, though, the Baltimore Ravens also right where they want to be, as we had some clinching going on in the NFL. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjagermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York.
2: So back here on Gojo and Golik, where it is time now for surreal celebrations presented by Ciroc. Ciroc champions your game day celebration with ultra-premium vodka. Ravens celebrating the number one overall seed after clinching the top spot in AFC with a big win, dominating win over the Dolphins. Here's John Harbaugh celebrating with his team in the locker room afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, Ravens now <laughs> have the option, though, guys, of resting their starters for the regular season finale against Pittsburgh. Give them two weeks of rest and recovery before the divisional round. It's very similar to that situation they were in in 2019. You guys remember that? And Lamar, the MVP that season, the favorite to win it this season. They were like 14-2, and two, had that first round off, and then got embarrassed by the Titans in the divisional round.
0: Yeah, and Dad, I think that's good to inform kind of the mindset of this Ravens team because that is absolutely something that weighs on them. Lamar Jackson's messaging has always been in the time really before and since then I'm here to win a Super Bowl. This is about what lies beyond that. And so they're going to try and figure all that out and how to map that situation. But. Dad, this was an exclamation mark performance on what absolutely should be a Lamar Jackson MVP case for this season. And it's been fun to watch us morph back into a world where I have championed this as well. We've got better statistics now to try and inform some of the way that we talk about football, but letting those be the only thing that determines outcomes when all of us still have eyes and can watch what Lamar Jackson has done and the way he's influenced this team, Drifting back to that portion of it where the ball itself matters is nice to see as really the chief thing behind Lamar's deserved MVP candidacy because especially and I'd say the last month or so, he has been a man possessed in the pocket and has led this Ravens team to now being the best team in football.
1: This should be one of those as far as his MVP moment, you know, how the baseball players, some of them have won the batting title uh, toward the end of the season and they stopped playing. So they win the batting title. I mean, Lamar's got it kind of locked up here, I think. So would you play him in this last game? I mean, they're playing Pittsburgh. What's interesting here, Pittsburgh can still make the playoffs. So if if Pitt gets a less than, you know, star-studded or Baltimore Ravens team, They get a win here. There are more than a few options. I look at the sheet and it makes my eyes glaze over because I have it in front of me of the ways they can make the playoffs. And one of the ways is the game I'm doing. I'm doing a Buffalo at Miami where the winner takes a division in this one. And Buffalo, Buffalo could actually lose this game and be out of the playoffs, possibly replaced by Pittsburgh if they win this game, depending on some other things as well. So that's always an interesting thing to me when people complain and say oh you know Baltimore should have to play you know their top guys to make it fair so Pittsburgh maybe doesn't backdoor in and I say BS man you do what's right for you if you want to sit your entire squad sit them don't care your goal is the Super Bowl and you have the team to get there and win it this year so you do what you got to do in this last game but it definitely could open the door for Pittsburgh uh, depending on how Baltimore plays this game
0: Yeah, I think for Baltimore, and especially as it pertains to Lamar and the MVP, you do what you think is best in terms of rest or rust or continuity, whatever you want to do down the stretch without there in mind. Because at this point, you're right. Lamar Jackson needs not add more to his MVP candidacy. Now, do I still think Christian McCaffrey should have his day in court on that? Absolutely. Do I still think Josh Allen, depending on the outcome of this, should have his day in court, considering he's now accounted for, what, 42 touchdowns this season between rushing and passing on a team that's been white hot down the post stretch of the season absolutely but no I, I don't think lamar jackson has anything else to play for this season and listen while we understand the injury thing has been to me overblown to a point with lamar jackson as a reason why you maybe didn't want to pay him if you're one of those idiot teams that raised their hands on the first day of free agency and said we're not going to try and go after right uh lamar jackson who's on the fran- uh the on the franchise tag at that point we obviously know it's overblown to that end. But at the same time, the last thing you want to do in my mind, if you're Baltimore is risk injuring any of your players, because dad, that has been the thing that has ultimately damned you in these last number of seasons with Lamar at the helm since that MVP season. So I think health is the priority for Baltimore team yep. who is healthier than we've seen them in quite some time. You give them time. Kyle Hamilton to miss this last game on defense, give him time to recover. And you roll into the playoffs looking like the death star. I mean, hanging 50 wow. on a dolphins defense that had looked really, Really good as of late, especially getting after the Packers. That was after the pass rushers. That is eye-popping.
1: By the way, how they're, well they're playing, but also they've won, what, six in a row. Couple that with how the other top teams that we thought in the AFC are playing. Kansas City is not way well, finally, you know, they have a one-game winning streak now after dropping <laughs> some games. So are you worried, you know, Jacksonville, I don't think anybody's worried about. You know, Miami or Buffalo, you just saw. Uh, what, what Baltimore did to Miami. The Cleveland Browns, quite honestly, <laughs> Kevin Stefanski is the coach of the year in my, in my eyes. To do what you've done with four quarterbacks is crazy. They've won four in a row. Joe Flacco, the elite, has been out there doing his thing. They might be the biggest threat. To Baltimore, the way they're playing right now. They, they may be. So I think the way Baltimore is playing coupled with the way the rest of the AFC is playing, which we had said was so deep going into the season, we, we've seen a whole lot of, uh, you know, warts on a whole lot of teams. And Baltimore is just on fire right now
0: yeah what a fun styles make fight versus uh matchup uh, that would potentially be in the postseason mm. if those two teams got there because you're right having a real conversation about the browns as a team people see making it to the afc championship game is now on the table because joe flacco has come back and played effort ball for them at quarterback but uh yeah so dad i'm with you on that I think right now, if the season ended today, I'd have to give the MVP to Lamar, though. As much as the Josh Allen numbers are tantalizing, and it's one of those words, the numbers match the tape. Like, Josh Allen has been incredible for them. Sands the Cowboys game where he didn't have to do anything but hand the ball off. He's been the driving force behind wins for them. But that has been Lamar at the helm of an offense, Dad, that we talked about at the beginning of the year didn't look quite itself. They were winning games, but it still didn't seem like it was necessarily on time. It's the full complement now where the deep passing attack led by Zay Flowers has come online. Lamar Jackson's been a massive part of their rushing attack with Todd Munkin's offense. He looks so comfortable at the controls, and this is exactly what we were expecting and hoping for when the Ravens made the move to go and to do something different at quarterback and to try and reach that next level now with Lamar at the helm, understanding what a unique gift you had there. This has checked every box and more for Baltimore Ravens fans in terms of what they could have wanted. And I think their quarterback, even though he doesn't have the gaudy numbers of his 2019 season to necessarily back it up, you cannot watch that game and say he doesn't influence every single iota of what happens on that offense in a way that gives that team the best chance to win.
1: Uh, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I, and I think with Josh Allen, sixteen interceptions, man, you know, and certainly more than a few in the red zone. I, I just I don't know. I, I I definitely lean toward Lamar in this. Now, we'll, again, we'll see how this ends up. They end up in Miami, and but and that that game is four the AFC East for a home game. Um, so uh, we'll see how that ends up. But, but to me, it would be Lamar Jackson. I could see Christian McCaffrey getting votes. He leads by a few hundred yards and rushing. This year he has, what, 67 receptions yeah. as well. It's ridiculous what he has done. He is certainly deserved of MVP votes. And if, and if Christian McCaffrey were to win it, I wouldn't bat an eye wouldn't bat an eye because I think he's absolutely that valuable.
2: Lamar can become the first quarterback here, Gojo, to win league MVP without a 1,000-yard rusher or receiver since Brett Favre in 96.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a good reminder, right, is we talked about the way this Baltimore passing attack has opened up, and we've seen guys step up. I mentioned Zay Flowers. Odell Beckham yep. Jr.'s Look resurgent at times this year. There have other been other guys that stepped up Rashad Bateman in there, but that's still not a murderer's row of names that I just no. read you mm-hmm. in that receiver no. room. That running back room lost Keaton Mitchell a couple of weeks ago, and Lamar Jackson has been able to not just keep them afloat during all of it, but evolve this offense to the point now where they should rightly be the Super Bowl favorite the way that they're playing on both offense and defense. Now, we'll get to the NFC in a little bit here because that picture, not nearly as clear after what we saw this last weekend. Because Coming up next, uh, Philadelphia.
2: All right, so the Eagles just lost a football game to the Cardinals, a team that entered this game with a 3-12 record, giving up 35 points and 449 yards to an offense that had not put up 30 points or more than 440 (laughs) yards in a game all freaking year. Philly has lost four of its last five, might have cost themselves the NFC East crown. So head coach Nick Sirianni, what say you?
0: Like I said, our our goals are ahead of us. We got to get things fixed and we got to get them fixed fast. Um, we're not where we want to be right yet, uh, as far as you know how we're playing right now, but and how we're coaching right now. But uh, we got time to, to get it fixed and we'll we'll get to work back to work uh, tonight and
2: tomorrow. Yeah, 49ers may have clinched the number one seed in the NFC, but they can thank the Eagles for making it much, much easier than initially anticipated. So Gojo, Philadelphia coaches can't figure it out. They keep preaching together. And to some, maybe that's a sign of a fractured locker room. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I'm not doing too much armchair psychology when it comes oh, come to the on. locker room, reading into comments the way people have tried to do with Jalen Hurts and or other AJ members
2: Brown. Team. You know, his whole not talking to the media thing because he doesn't have anything nice to say.
0: I think they're just frustrated. Like I think a lot of what you're seeing from the Philadelphia Eagles right now is what you've seen from the Kansas City Chiefs in recent weeks where you had Mahomes berating guys on the sideline or Travis Kelsey spiking his helmet is – These are really good teams that have not been bad in a while, especially a lot of the core players involved. And those are muscles that, when you don't flex them very often, are all of a sudden pretty jarring when you have to use them again. And those are generally good problems to have. Dad, the Eagles' formula is pretty simple for me. Their defense is bad this year. It got chewed up and wasn't addressed properly at the linebacker level in the offseason. Their nickel and down the spine of that defense have been a difficult go for them for the vast majority of the season, so much so that you thought you had to hand over play calling to Matt Patricia. And now you've gotten weird usage for players like Hassan Reddick that all of a sudden takes him out of pass rushing downs. And I think a D-line that has not been able to, despite a lot of the talent there, Dad, overcome what's going on behind them in a way that maybe that unit last year was able to when they were sacking the quarterback 70 times.
1: Yeah, I think a ton of pressure got put on the D-line, which, listen, you got to step up and meet the pressure if that's the case, because the back seven, you know, has been a mass unit for sure. And they have struggled. Even when they started getting healthy, they have struggled. And I agree with you. The, the comments now are, are born out of frustration because this team is used to being really good, you know, and, and, and going far. And obviously, we see them to the Super Bowl last year. And now they're not playing anywhere near that. I think it's high, high frustration out of them. And, but, the way, but the bottom line is the way they're playing, they're not going to go far. Uh, the way it's going right now because you're not going to fix things now no as they say you know nobody's walking in that door you know nobody's coming in to save the day this is who you have you have to execute better now you can get some guys a little more healthy than they've been uh, but the bottom line is you have to execute better and when the pressure falls on the d line because they have some depth there they have to come through better uh, that's that's just the way it is. You have to pick each other up, and they're just not doing it right now. That this game just stunned me, stunned me with Arizona. I mean, you, you want to talk about just checking one off, you know, that you thought was going to be in the win column to what happened, uh, and what may happen to them now uh, is is amazing. Though, if you're sitting in the if you're sitting in the five slot, though, you will go on the road, but you you may be going on the road to where Tampa Bay or New Orleans. So. Not the worst thing in the world because while both, you know, New Orleans had a great game against Tampa Bay, we had been talking about Tampa Bay and what Baker Mayfield has been doing, but neither one of those teams put the fear of God in anybody, right? So it may, you know, while you wouldn't have the game at home, that's where you may go as opposed to, you know, the Lions maybe having to play the Rams or the Cowboys. Then I'm trying to, you know, trying to put in my head who the Cowboys uh, would play, maybe the Packers. Um, yeah. With Jordan Love playing the way he's playing right now, they may be in a better position at five, quite honestly, but either way, they have to fix what's going on X's and O's-wise, or I should say execution-wise in how they're playing.
0: Yeah, I do think there's some X and O's to that, too. I saw Ben Solak over at The Ringer and Philly Special Podcast talking a lot about some of the things that look different defensively that Matt Patricia did, but you're right. This does seem and has seemed like a Jimmy's and Joe's problem for them for a while, and it does bring us to kind of a flat rest of the NFC For the playoffs, because despite what happened against Baltimore, San Francisco's still the best team in the NFC by a comfortable margin. We've seen that against the other elites in that conference when they've gone up against them. But outside of that, Dad, when you start to look down the rest, because of what you said, late season surges for different reasons by the green bay packers and the los angeles rams to me they are the two most fascinating teams going into this los angeles to me more so than green bay we've seen some slip up from green bay in this stretch but jordan love has been playing football towards the middle and back half of the season that looks like a guy that absolutely is going to continue to be the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Some of their young receiving weapons have stepped up. They've started to figure out some O-line permutations, but the Los Angeles Rams are, I think, the most interesting team to me going into the postseason on either side of football. The Buffalo Bills could be in that regard as well, but the offensive outfit has just seemed so complete. They're so healthy in all the ways that you could hope for the Los Angeles Rams, and because the world outside of San Francisco has looked so cloudy for everybody else. You are instantly a player again after punching their ticket in.
1: Yeah, they they are definitely a player. It wasn't the most impressive win in the world against the Giants, you know, by a point. Um, But still, they're a team that you kind of go, uh-oh about. And and that could be the matchup because I think one of the best playing teams right now is Detroit. That could be the matchup in the first round. You could have the Rams going to Detroit, the the swapping of quarterbacks, Goff and Stafford, meeting in the playoffs. And I I tell you what, I love the way I keep in calling these games and got to call the Rams and the Lions and San Francisco. We talk about the depth on the offense, San Francisco, the incredible depth. But Detroit's depth, you know, especially with the two-headed rushing attack and then the receivers and the Rams depth when they have everybody healthy. I mean, it's so impressive. Those are the three teams. And the Lions, to me, you know, and I give credit to your mom. Your mom called lions brown Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. And while people may have laughed at that point, I don't know how many people are laughing right now. I still think it's a long shot because of the way Baltimore's playing. But both those teams, Cleveland and Detroit, are playing extremely well. And Detroit's going to get to play at home. Host at least that first game. If it is against the Rams, man, would I look forward to that game. That would be
0: Stafford's first game back in Detroit since yeah. the trade. They've played since then, but it was in Los Angeles. And so his first time going back home, and we know people try and downplay this all the time. Like, it'll be a playoff game he'll be focused and all that stuff but it's kind of like when we talk about senior days in college to me dad that's still a place that means an awful lot yeah. to matthew stafford yeah. and vice versa because of all the years there because of the way that he approached that and so would be fascinating i i would imagine that'd be pretty close to a pick them the way the rams have played lately like some of this last week might affect that but based yeah. on the way they've been playing and what they've got under center which we've seen again in critical moments i think we've seen why that trade was made the what Matthew stafford offers you versus what jared Goff offers you in some of those moments so that is a fascinating part we will get to by the way uh coming up in the next segment here the detroit lions and cowboys officiating debacle wow. from over wow. the weekend because you talk about that matchup that sits ahead of them now because the Lions. Seem largely most permutations of the way things could work out in week 18 seem close to locked into the three seed after what happened in that game but uh yeah because the eagles have come back down to earth so hard we saw it as the upper crust of the nfc of philadelphia and san francisco going into this year coming off what we saw last season one team has held up that bargain in the san francisco 49ers the other team is the philadelphia eagles who dead while they're still a very good football team with a lot of key pieces defensively the way they have played now for the back half of the season i cannot trust them to win a meaningful game in the postseason
1: just what the power is on the offense, save from if, if in fact the first game is against Tampa Bay or New Orleans, not, not the strongest offenses in, in the world. But the rest of those teams, San Francisco, the Lions, the Rams, the Cowboys, all have very, very potent offenses for a Philadelphia defense that is struggling mightily. So there has to be a lot of concern in Philly
0: potent offenses that can hit philadelphia where it hurts right in the middle of the back end of that defense when you think about cd lamb in the slot the entire 49ers big skill arsenal in the middle of that field the lions and ben johnson throwing routes over the middle for jared goff all of it no bueno if you're the philadelphia eagles looking for matchups out there in the postseason but coming up next uh detroit versus everybody was on full display over the weekend with some good and some heinously horrifically bad Welcome back to Gojo and Golick, Mike Jr., Mike Sr. and Emerson Lazier here. And dad, while we were all blinded by the lights on Monday of what college football threw at us, it should not obscure our view from one of the bigger miscarriages of justice over the weekend in the NFL. I don't know how people in Detroit are feeling waking up today. On one hand, I'd imagine there's a pretty good crossover in the contingent of Lions fans who are also Michigan Wolverines fans pretty happy about their team playing in the national yeah. championship and playing really well. But on the other side, we talked about NSC playoff scenarios and the Detroit Lions factoring into that as the likely three seed at this point. Because over the weekend, they lost a game to the Dallas Cowboys that they actually won, were it not for the mistake of officiating. As late in that game, the Detroit Lions drive. They decide to go for two. Dan Campbell is all in, wants to win this game, and then has a penalty called on him on a play where they threw to a, what should have been tackle-eligible Eric Decker for the two-point play. And instead, because of that, what in my mind, based on what we have seen, from the, offici- from the views of it after the game, seems like a straight-up miss by the officials there where you had Eric, uh, Eric Decker and Dan Skipper, two of their offensive linemen, going over to the official, having one of them report eligible in Eric Decker in a way that Dan Campbell said after the game, I went to the officials and explained beforehand. I told them this is what we are going to do. This is the plan. And based on everything we've heard from the parties involved, Dad, this to me looks like a mistake in officiating that cost the Detroit Lions a game.
1: So uh, a few things here. You know, um, over by the official was Panay Sewell, Taylor, Decker, and then Dan Skipper. Sorry, yeah, came, yeah, it's Came running onto the field. And as as Dan Skipper had said, I never reported because. Look where he lined up. There was no reason for him to report. He was like at the right tackle. Panay Sewell is like at a tight end position, but on the line. And then there was a wide receiver on that side on the line, so he was ineligible. So there would be no reason for him to report. None whatsoever. And he said he did not report. It seemed to me that as Sewell and Decker, because Goff told Decker to go report, And Decker walked over, and you could see him with his right hand kind of rubbing his hand down his body. And that's the sign to the official that I am an eligible receiver with an an ineligible number. So he went to the – and as he was going to the official, the official looked at Skipper running on the field. And Skipper had been that guy two other times, I think, during this game where he had been the guy coming in saying, I am eligible. So immediately you saw the ref run over to the defense – And do that hand signal and then tell the defense what number said he's eligible. And they said 70 was eligible, which meant 68 was not. So, illegal touching, blah, 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 whatever. So, there's a couple of things here. First, I will not sit here and say if the ref got it right that that play would have worked. Because understand what would have happened then. The ref, would, if he got it right, would have went to the defense and said 68 is eligible. The defense had no reason to cover Decker because the the ref had said 70 was eligible. So they had no reason to cover him. If the defense heard 68 was eligible, they may have covered him. They may have said, "Okay, this guy's eligible. We have someone to account for him on the play. So I'm not just going to easily say that look what they did. They scored a touchdown. Well, the defense did not believe Decker was eligible because the ref got it wrong there. So let me just say that right out of the gate. And the other thing I started to hear was, well, Detroit was trying to confuse the defense by having Sewell over there, Decker over there, and then Skipper. Well, Decker had to go over there to report. But then Skipper running toward the official. Why Skipper just didn't run right to the huddle, I don't know. If, in fact, they were trying to confuse the defense— Mike, I don't understand that because as I, as people were wondering that, I said on Twitter, that referee is going to the defense and telling them exactly what number is eligible. So you're not confusing anybody because the ref is going to tell you who is eligible on the play. And, and somebody said, well, are you listening to that? I said, me as a D tackle? No, because I'm not in coverage. But I guarantee you – the back's half the play or the back 7 the players who are in coverage they are going to want to know who's eligible to determine where their coverage is going to be I
0: agree with you on that, Deb, but to me, it's the same idea as why would you shift in motion before a play? Because, yes, everyone's going to be dialed in on that, but you just need one guy to bust. And so you're trying to do as much eye candy as possible. So that's my thought process there is that's why you would do it that way, because in that moment for a play that I'd imagine you've schemed for weeks. Like, I have to imagine the Detroit Lions have been practicing this for a while, have gone through all the machinations of it. With the express purpose of yeah, just like all the fun shifts and motions that Ben Johnson does, trying to see if they can get just one guy to bite up, even with what you accounted for there.
1: You're right, and and they did. They seem to do everything right. If that, in fact, was what they were trying to do, Skipper runs toward the ref. They got three people by the ref. If, in fact, they're trying to confuse, unfortunately, they confuse the ref. And, and remember, Dan said, and this is what coaches do before the game. Hell, you were on the on, on the bad end of this, Jim Harbaugh, when he was coaching Stanford. And Notre Dame went to play Stanford, and you were the center. He told the officials before the game, watch the center, which is you, when he snaps his head up after looking back. He does it in kind of a, a start-to-play motion, and you got called a couple of times. So this is what coaches do. Dan Campbell went to the official and completely explained – that play and who was going to be eligible and the ref just blew it the, the ref just absolutely blew this thing
0: he, he did and and that to me is the biggest part of this dad is because the lions did everything that we they were supposed to and the officials made a mistake and then wouldn't admit to it like you read the pool report after and they basically called the lions liars in a way that every bit of film that we've watched since then refutes that to me cannot happen and that's where now the nfl who routinely steps in to protect officials in a way that i kind of understand because they're sort of the arm of the league involved in all these games dad when players make mistakes in games guys get cut there are consequences to this and i understand officiating crews get downvoted in terms of their postseason eligibility and being able to ref in the playoffs that can happen but something else has to happen because you cannot just have someone come out and demonstrate zero accountability in a moment where it is absolutely it seems like a gaffe on their part
1: completely agree i mean and you're right the video why else would I didn't didn't Taylor Decker's wife even tweet yeah he was going to the ref to wish him a Merry Christmas I mean she had some stuff which was great a great sarcastic tweet yeah but again we're talking about were they trying to confuse the defense and unfortunately it confused the official because you're right this is a play you work on and as Taylor Decker said after the game I did what I was told Dan Skipper, I never reported, but it made it look, as they were all by the official, okay, who was going to be the eligible guy, which the, the Brad Allen, I think, who his crew will not be officiating in the playoffs, I don't believe, no, 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 goes, no. To, uh, goes uh, to the Cowboys and says it's number 70. It's a shame because what a game, and this is all talked about instead of C.D. Lamb. 13 receptions, 227 yeah. yards, and a touchdown. The man was a wrecking crew. What a game that he had that just kind of got lost in this because of the the end-of-the-game controversy.
0: It really was. And, Dad, he was about the only one. Like, he was the only source of offense for a Dallas team that was kind of boom or bust in that way. Shout-out to the Lions defense that had largely held them in check the lions it was right. a lot like the michigan alabama game dad where they were more dominant on both lines of scrimmage in that game the detroit offensive line was doing their thing for the most part even including this play and the detroit defensive front down in and down out was stuffing the cowboys in a way that i don't think a lot of people accounted for coming in based on reputation so those would have all been conversations that would have been had and you're right cd lamb an incredible individual effort but he was the one that kind of had to pull dallas through this
1: yeah, he did. That's why, I mean, are we, are we searching for that team that can compete with San Francisco? I mean, who, who is going to be, who do we see, you know, and, and I match up a Detroit or a Rams team, which can match kind of the depth on the offense, but then it comes down to the defensive side as well. Right now, it's Baltimore, a step ahead of everybody, and it's San Francisco, a step ahead of everybody, it seems at this point
0: yep everybody else has their warts after that and detroit certainly i think especially with their defense showing up a little bit more on tape than i would have expected down the stretch of the season is going to have their day in court with all this but now that road does get more difficult because as we said this game had real life consequences for the detroit lions who now lose out more than likely in most iterations on a chance at the two seed all because of a mistake by the people wearing the third uniform in the football game